welcome to Missouri Loves Company. I'm Brock Wilbur with your host, Vivian Kane. And this is our show about Kansas City, the Midwest, politics, everything else. Why am I just the host? Oh, you're the host. You're also the host. No, I'm like the producer. It's a lot of pressure. I'm under the host. Ah. What is happening? <laughs> We're having a fun time on a show. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we are... Uh, it is the night before Halloween. I'm not sure when the episode comes out. We're going to do kind of a spooky episode tonight because we have a spooky guest with us. Yeah, and uh, everything in the news over the last week has been real fucking spooky. How spooky is it, Viv? Like really depressingly spooky. I don't think that's what spooky is, Viv. Well, it's been full of shootings and bombings and, uh, you know, spooky stuff. <laughs> I think you're describing horror. Yeah, that's <laughs> Just it. outright horror. Yeah, this is less spoopy and more like actual real life horror. I want to start defining everything that is vaguely on that side of the spectrum as spooky. Oh, that, you know, that uh, right-wing conspiracy theorists like really being spoopy today. <laughs> that was another one we'll get to. I'm sorry, I sound so dejected. It has been a week. <laughs> I'm I'm doing the opposite thing where I'm being very punch drunk, like funny because like tell. I'm just hit with yeah. everything. Like um, we we react to shutting down in different ways, and this has been a fun relationship thing too. Where when I'm like at the end of my rope, I go for the dumbest joke, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Not the time for jokes." I'm like, "I don't know. This is where I go." And then we swap. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's fun to it's fun to swap those places. Yeah. Uh, this has been. Uh, this has been about a month between episodes again. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't mean to keep doing these breaks, but uh, th- this has been for a good cause because we've mostly been active, uh, which is a good thing. We've been doing a lot of stuff. We've been... Viv is making a face at me. I'm making faces because, once again, as usual, Brock has been more active than I have been. I've been wanting to be active, um, but I'm still kicking myself for not being as active. You, you need to give yourself credit for what you do all day, every day is your yeah. day job, which is letting people know about a lot of this stuff, especially the things that are sneaking through under the radar. Okay, fair. It's true, and you deserve it. Uh, I've done some phone banking and stuff like that. Uh, here's the thing. Um, when you phone bank for Planned Parenthood, uh, me, and, me and Viv both had the misconception that you just have the numbers of people that have agreed to be called by Planned Parenthood. That is not the case. Yeah, NARAL, when you call for them, at least what I've been told by people there, is that you are calling people who are already on their list, who have expressed interest, donated money, whatever. Right. Apparently not the case for Planned Parenthood. <laughs> uh, what you get on their call list is that you actually have the voter rolls uh, for the area that you're, you're in. Uh, and so the area that our Planned Parenthood is in uh, where it is doing the most good right now is Lenexa, Kansas, uh, where we're calling for. Which is about 20 minutes outside of Kansas City. Kansas City is a big blue bubble. Lenexa is like on the outskirts of that bubble. So not like, not super liberal like uh, Kansas City. And and weirdly, it isn't even uh, that much west. It's just south and then a little bit across the border. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And so the voter rolls from there, you get somebody's name. You get their age, you get their gender, and you get what they've registered as. So when you see a 72-year-old man named Leonard, uh, who's a registered Republican, and you know that you're going to call, and the first thing you're going to say is, Hi, I'm Brock, a volunteer with Planned Parenthood, and I want to know who you're voting for. Uh, some people do not take kindly to that. especially you're getting called out, Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Leonard. Uh, especially during dinner time. And that is, uh, I got yelled at by some people. Some people 
especially women under 50 who are registered Democrats were like, oh, hell yeah, I'm voting for who you're, you know, to calling about. And like, we're super supportive and even like knew the, the situation I was in where overwhelmingly they were like, no one's going to yell at you on this call. And I was like, God, I, one of them was just like, God bless you. Because it was like yeah. six mm-hmm. calls in a row. Uh, also, what is your uh, goal for people to pick up? Uh, and to just pick up their phone. Yeah, yeah. And it's not even a goal. It's just the expectation. Yeah. Uh, when you're phone banking at this point in America, about 7% of people are going to pick up. Because uh, as, as the studies have shown by next year, more than half of phone calls placed in this country are fake scam or spam phone calls or somebody trying to get yeah. money viv hasn't answered her phone the entirety no, of the time I've my number her. has gotten sold on some lists and like 90 percent of the people that call me are not real numbers and i just i never answer my phone if i don't know who's calling me and oftentimes not even then uh, it used to drive me crazy and then i realized that it was all just people trying to scam you out of money i was like what is happening yeah uh so yeah you call people and you, you ask about this stuff and uh overwhelmingly uh I thought a lot of the people yelling at me were going to be yelling at me like, uh, you sell baby parts. Uh, what they yell at instead is, uh, it is not your right to know what I'm going to vote for or believe in. And I was like, it feels really specific and obvious that if you are voting against the interests of women, that you're just like, I'm not going to tell you. Actually, this is about my privacy. When you know that you're on the fucking wrong side of history, it's an incredible yeah. thing. The other thing that... Um that bugs me is like, I understand not wanting to be interrupted during dinner. Right. But I mean, for one, people also don't want to be interrupted on their weekends or when they're at work. So what does that leave? But the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand, and I didn't really understand until I started looking into volunteering is that the majority, the vast majority of people making these calls are not employed by Planned Parenthood, by the McCaskill office. They are volunteers. And so they are free after work, they go to work all day. A lot of them go to work normal hours and then donate their evenings when they could be watching TV, spending time with their families, doing whatever bullshit like you want to do at night, having dinner with their families. They're sacrificing that to try to help the democratic process. And I just, I didn't really realize, I never really thought about that before. And it's one of those things that, uh, I don't know. You could just not answer your phone. You could say no thank you. And to be cruel to people that are sacrificing their free time to try to help the democratic process. Like, it just seems uh, wrong. It, it is no matter that I what your beliefs about are. Our script, yeah. Which was to start with, like, I am a volunteer yeah. with, which a lot of other calls you're going to get are not going to be, I'm a volunteer. Yeah. With. Uh, so, right off the bat, you let somebody know, like, I'm here because I want to be. And hopefully yeah. they hear that. Uh, anyway, uh, a couple of other housekeeping things before we get to the show. Uh, today would have been my grandfather's 88th birthday. Uh, the mm-hmm. fact that he always had a Halloween birthday has always been really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I bring it up because uh, while his politics went wildly out of control at the end of his life, and it's one of the things that I will uh, never forgive Fox News for because <laughs> it's not the person he was, um, I do know that he would fucking love this podcast because he <laughs> loved sparring with Viv yeah, and he like did. <laughs> was invested in what she had to say and didn't he, he didn't get really believe everything. in feminism but he Well what he did he liked, think feminism was? I mean, I think he liked me mm-hmm. and he liked 
women, like specific women. But I don't think, I think he was one of those people that didn't believe that like, we needed a special name for ourselves that like he, he would have considered himself, I think a humanist. Probably if he had that, he also very much thought that be, oh, what you be, were doing was that he thought feminism was women's lib. He's like, you got the vote. What yeah. else are you looking and, for? And because he knew of specific women that got paid as much or more than specific individual men. He, I don't think Not he, in comparable position. I don't think he believed in uh, systemic injustice. And that's something that I, tried to convince him of when we would talk and he just he didn't he didn't really believe it was a thing but he sure liked talking to me about it (laughs) and he did engage you and i think did take things from that i think you did change his mind about things uh he also just difficult he was just a little curmudgeon contrarian and and loved uh sometimes playing devil's advocate now let me ask you about this he was a big old curmudgeon contrarian um which is w- one of my least favorite things in the world, but I loved him and loved talking to him. <laughs> yeah, I think he would like this because he was always asking, especially at the end there, he's like, I want to read more of Viv's stuff. And I was like, and we'd be like no, I that's don't not know a good which idea. pieces from the Mary Sue to send you <laughs> yeah. that would e- a-, a, like... Even make sense. Make sense yeah. to you. Because like, you won't believe <laughs> what this leftist oh, what Tumblr this- black... What fandom is saying about this ship right now? (laughs) Yeah. If we could have shipped my grandfather. uh, So uh, this is for Roy Wilbur today. I'm having a drink in your honor. uh, And my grandmother is still around. And uh, we talked earlier. And uh, I I brought this show up. And I was like, I think he would have liked this. Because this is the thing that he could have heard. And he would have heard a lot that he would have yelled at and been (laughs) like, that isn't how... It is pinkos. Uh, pinkos. Yeah. Yes, uh, the Pinkertons uh, is how this would go. Uh, but uh, he is missed, and there is that. Uh, Viv has something that we should address at the top of the show yeah. that is. Just Unless we a, want, do we want to save it? We can. We can. Let's get our okay. guest in here, and we'll do it together. Uh, today we have a very special spooky guest with us, and our guest is Orin Gray. Yay! Yay! Orin, you and I know each other because we uh, wrote for the same outlet. Uh, and at one point, uh, I turned in, uh, right after moving here, coverage of Panic Fest, which is a horror festival that takes place here in January. And uh, you reached out via Twitter and like, holy shit, who, who is in Kansas City covering this? And I was like, oh, hi, it's me and I'm here now. And then there was a connection made uh, instantly. Uh, you are a horror writer with a number of published books and one brand new one. Tell me about your life and, and what you do out here. Um, yeah, so as you said, I'm a horror writer. I also am a freelance writer. I just write, you know, whatever, whatever pays the bills. Um, but when I, when I can, I write, uh, you know, spooky, the, the good kind of spooky, not the, not the depressing kind of spooky, if at <laughs> all possible. Spooky. So many shades of spook yeah. are being brought up here tonight. <laughs> Fictional spook. Yes. Yeah. Ghosts and monsters <laughs> and that kind of stuff. Not. And n- Jacob Wall. Not this other no, stuff. No. <laughs> He's not a real person. <laughs> What is the shared outlet? Is that Oh, unwinnable. It was unwinnable. Yeah. Yeah. And he he wrote he wrote a a coverage thing of Panic Fest for Unwinnable. It's so like I got home, I think it was like a couple of days after Panic Fest or something that it went up and I I got online and, and Unwinnable's writing something about Panic Fest. I'm like, I didn't write this. Who the hell? Like, who? Who's stealing who's, my beat? Who's on my turf? <laughs> right. Like, I didn't even think who's about it. Who's stealing my beat was better. You were right. That's good. And and I was just like, I, I think I reached out to like um, to stew uh, there at Unwinnable. And I was like, who else do you have who's in Kansas City? What the heck? I didn't realize we had cool people here. That's not true. But... Um, <laughs> 
uh, so yeah, it was it was serendipitous to uh, how to get long to you been in Kansas City? What brought you here? Um, so I've been like in well, I live in Olathe, mm-hmm. um, which is south of Lenexa that we were talking about earlier, um, and uh, south of Lenexa politically. For people that yeah. aren't from here, uh, Olathe is sort of like the big suburb, like sort of southwest of here. We go out there a lot because that's where all the like big AMC theaters are. So we go to press screenings there. So it's 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 a suburb, but like there's sort of more there than there is in Kansas city yeah. in a lot of ways. And, well, and it's in, it's in Johnson County, which is like the richest County in Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> one of the richest ones in the country or was it one time? It's, it's mega church central. It yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and so I, I, I was always fascinated that you live there. It feels like living in a church and you do not belong there. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, we just, um, we moved there cause we, so I grew up in further South in Kansas. I, was born in Sedan, which is just north of the Oklahoma border. And my dad, um, when I was in third grade, got a job uh, overseeing the building of prisons. So then we moved around oh. to places where they built prisons for a year or two, and then like we settled. Leavenworth? Uh, no, they were that one was built already. Um, they we built. He he worked at one in Wichita, one in Topeka, and then he built the one in El Dorado. And the one in El Dorado, they offered him a permanent position, so we settled in El Dorado. Mm-hmm. Which is That's where I live. Interesting town. Yeah, uh, I lived kind of out on the outside of El Dorado, so I went to a different school district. But um, I don't even know what to say about El Dorado. Like, I feel like I have no good um, one sentence summary of what that place is. It's so it's it's a it's a refinery town. Like it it was it was an oil town, an oil boom town originally. Um, I actually wrote a story in my first collection called Black Hill that's set near where I went to school, which was actually called Oil Hill. Because oh. it was it was oil fields originally, um, and there's still like pump jacks in people's backyards and stuff there. It is where m- my mother was born, and uh, it was almost by accident. I think like the family <laughs> was traveling through there, but my only memory of going through there was that um, when Tim Burton came out to film the film <laughs> Mars Attacks, they had an audition out there where they were looking for Asian women under five feet tall to be stand-ins for the Martians, and they were looking for people over the age of 80 to play people in the old folks' home, because that was the Kansas sequences that they were shooting. And I loved Mars Attacks so much in sixth grade that I, the 6'2", 12-year-old white boy, demanded my dad drive me up there, which is a several-hour drive, and then we stood in line for hours to take my picture to turn in my extra thing and I remember just like scrawling on it I'll do this for free as if we were going to make union rates or something but I was like uh, I just want to be in this so very much so I have one Eldorado story there you go and uh, it's Tim Burton related so there's that there's that is it spelled with an E or an A Elder, Eldorado Eldorado it's Eldorado it's, it's, it's with an A oh, okay. um, and like any place else in the entire world, it would be, it would El, Dorado, be El Dorado. Yeah, but an like El, Selena in, should be Selena anywhere right. else. I we know that we just deliberately mispronounce things yeah. out here. Yeah. Yep. I, I I guess to spite people, I don't know, but yeah, it was. It was well, a, we lived in Los Los Feliz in L.A. So. I, I summered in in Buena Vista in Colorado as a kid. Yeah, yeah. we it's. Oh. Um, and uh, so anyway, so I, I grew up there, and I went to uh, Baker University when I went to college, which is in Baldwin City. And that's where I met my wife, and we lived there in Baldwin City for a little while after college, and then she got a job up here in Olathe, so Were we moved to Olathe. Were you the only non-religious person at Baker? No. 
I, I barely knew any religious people at Baker, actually. Okay. Um, it's it's a Methodist school, but right. you wouldn't, mm. like, aside from the fact that there's a chapel on campus, you wouldn't tell. The line between Methodist and nothing is so thin that uh-huh. I have fallen through it a number of times in my life. <laughs> That's the only church I ever went to growing up. Oh, really? Yeah, a couple of weeks, a couple of weekends at a Methodist church. There you go. <laughs> like, this is fine. <laughs> I, I spent a lot of time in one because they had the choir concerts at yeah. the Methodist church in town because it was, yeah. Right. That's how that's how I got, like, yeah. my dad would, he would sing in the choir and he would play uh, instruments, uh, like, clarinet and stuff uh, for the Methodist. Clarinet? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Your dad that, is so talented. Yeah. I didn't find out till later that, or maybe he wasn't until later, like, actually religious. I thought he was just in it for the music. <laughs> I remember I went to, like, I went What's to, like... What's the opposite of a sellout? Yeah, I went to, like, <laughs> two, oh, a buy-in? Yeah, a buy-in? I went to, like, <laughs> two days of Sunday school ever that I remember. I was like, this is weird. Uh, her dad worked at NASA, and <laughs> while he was there, led the NASA Jazz Band, which <laughs> I was just like, I cannot imagine... Yep. A dorkier group of white men doing <laughs> right. jazz music, and I want to hear recordings yeah. of it so badly because he's so goddamn talented. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a really amazing like overlap of yep. things to be nerdy about too. Like, yep. yeah, I work at NASA and I'm a jazz musician. Well, you know, music is really just numbers. God <laughs> Christ! <laughs> so you went to Baker, you met your wife, and yeah. you and your wife uh, went from there to here. Yeah, to Olathe, um, because that's where her work was when she moved up here, and. Uh, we just stayed because then we had a place we lived then, and uh, now we own a house or a townhouse there, so we're kind of stuck for the time being. Um, but I mean, it's not bad. Uh, it's close to everything. It's easy to drive to everything. Uh, there's an AMC theater like right across the highway from me. Um, so, what, what movie did we watch together at the critic screening? Predator or yes. the, the Predator? Yeah. Oh. Yes. Uh, we enjoyed the Predator together. Yes. As, yes. Uh, we we made eye contact constantly. And we're like. <laughs> The fuck are we doing here? <laughs> I watched uh, that movie that I last minute decided not to go to. You were right. Yeah, yeah Brock no. kept sending me texts. I, t- I took about your, how I took right your, I, I took oh, your you seat. Took my ticket. Yeah, I took okay. your seat. Yeah, it was it was you and me and, and Adrian and his wife yeah. all in a row just going wow. Why are so we I I went to that again in two days because I had already bought tickets before I went to the press screening. Like I bought tickets and then I heard about the press screening. I'm like, well, I'll go to that. Follow question: Why do you hate yourself? I, I, I well, okay. So when I when I when I bought the tickets, I hooked a bunch of other people into going with me. So oh. I had like six other people on the line that like if I if I was like, well, I went to see the preview screening and. I'm out. Um, they would. They wouldn't have. Uh, they wouldn't have appreciated that. So I went again. It was. Actually, I kind of liked it better actually the second time because I like knew what I was getting into then. If the bar is lowered enough, yeah. I think it's a really fun movie. I mean, that's kind of why I loved Venom. Yes. Like, not that I'd seen it already, but I went in with the bar on the ground yeah. or in a ditch below the ground. <laughs> and we also and brought I our little love, a 13-year-old yeah. boy I who just... I loved it. I loved <laughs> Which that Which I'm sure is its target audience. I yeah. mean, I, when I was a 13-year-old boy, I thought movie. Venom was awesome. I it, mean, yeah. not the movie, but... It's you know. his favorite movie, and there was nothing in it that I had to sit there cringing, wishing I hadn't taken him to. Except for one There's use, a... one disparaging use of the word pussy. Like, that's... I just don't think that needs to be used as an insult in a PG-13 movie made But that might have been boys. the biggest laugh in the movie. It was. It was. I just wish it weren't there. Because that was the one thing that I was like, fuck, I don't want Alex like thinking that that's funny. Uh, the weird part of it for me was that... Uh, I'd taken our little to see uh, Upgrade, 
in oh, the theater. Which is basically Venom. It is yeah. It is shot for shot Venom, except better and more interesting right. and more complicated. Oh, that but, is not how you described it oh, to me. Oh, <laughs> no. Upgrade is, is a fucking amazing film, and I love it dearly. Uh, it's the first time I'm hearing you say that. <laughs> oh, I really want you to watch it with okay. me. And it's out on VOD now. You should watch it. It is shot for shot Venom, but better and smarter. Uh, down to the fact that both of them can hear a voice in their head that no one else can hear, yeah. and that is where so much comedy comes from. But in that movie, there are some things that happen violently that are just out of fucking control. And uh, it had been like uh, the week earlier that uh, Deadpool 2 came out, and my sister <laughs> also has a little who's younger than our little, uh, and she was like, we're taking our little to see this. And I was like, really? Because it seems like it's a lot of things, and she brought up a fact that is true about her little and is true about our little kids right now just have every ability to download whatever the fuck they want to watch uh and especially when you're working with kids that come from a single parent household a lot of them are used to just like this is how i entertain myself so there is no the standards of what we used to have like growing up for us are in no way in place so i felt pretty okay taking him to see upgrade and once or twice i was like Ugh, mm-hmm. I should not have done this. And then the sounds that came out of my my thirteen year old little that were uh, just the glee at seeing <laughs> the most atrocious violence he'd ever seen was weirdly rewarding. Kind of <laughs> like that part. But to be able to take him to see Venom, which is the, the PG thirteen version of it, and have him be even more excited about PG-13 it. PG thirteen and heavily queer coded. So you know yeah. I love indoctrinating the youths into those. He got that no. Part. But it's seeped in there. It's subtle. <laughs> yeah. In in like I have so many questions about it for later. <laughs> in like th- in like fifteen years, he'll totally have gotten it. It'll be fine. Yeah. Or it will just subtly lay the groundwork that yeah. like that's not a thing that you have to even like pay attention to in movies. But it's cool that it's there. <laughs> so one, one one day he'll be thankful that uh, he's like you guys taught me that sexuality was a spectrum because you took me to upgrade and venom. <laughs> I'm I do. Crying. I do actually. Crying, want that. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be on a card someday. Yeah. You're going to get a card. Oh yeah! In 20 years, that will be already written on Hallmark cards. Oh yeah, like, the, the Hallmark yeah. spectrum section. You, you like, ta- thank you for not limiting me. <laughs> Th- thank you for taking me to Venom. Um, <laughs> the Venom section. I'm sorry. I have to go start my own card company. <laughs> right. For the so, future, you're just going to like save them and like print them in ten. For the present. <laughs> People need them right now. Yeah. Um, it's a gift. When I was still in college, I worked in a video store, and uh, one of my... Of one course of, you did. Right. Um, you guys and, can't see Oren, but if you could see Oren, you would know that Oren worked in a video store. <laughs> There's true. no question about it. Um, so I'm, I'm going to derail the story I was about to tell with another story. I went on a different podcast at one point, Miskatonic Musings, and like everyone on the podcast had worked in a video store at one time, we discovered, <laughs> midway through the podcast. podcast? Yeah. No, I refuse right? to accept it. It's this. shocking, isn't it? There's like four people there, and we had all worked at Blockbuster at one time. <laughs> hey, have you seen Dagon? <laughs> I have. <laughs> um so anyway uh so i worked in a video store and like my 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 finest moment of working in a video store was at one point um this kid and i i'm terrible at guessing ages but he was you know small um he, he was he was younger he was younger than 13 i don't know he was probably 10 you are such a smart guy and i love that you're just like i don't know smaller than usual right this is a range um he came in with his mom and she wanted him to, she she was renting him Raiders of the Lost Ark because she had seen it when she was his age and she was going to show it to him. And he wanted to rent the Brennan Fraser mummy, which had just come out at the time. And she was like really concerned because she thought it would be too violent, too scary and stuff. And I like 
rather than assuring her that no, the mummy's not actually that bad, it'll be fine, I was like, stop and think for a minute, like really think about what happens in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And she she stands there for a minute and then kind of goes white, like blanches slightly, and it's like, I'm like, you know, there's the guy with the helicopter propeller, and there's the people melting, and she's like, yeah. And so they took them both home, and I was really, I was good like, double feature. That was my, yeah. that was my, my big contribution Those to that are kid's life. Comparable, yeah. yeah. That, that was a time before we reassessed everything constantly. It's right. a nice thing to like remind people, like, stop, think. <laughs> uh, so you've been in Kansas City for years, and you uh, managed to make a career as a writer. And you have a bunch of books. What are your books like? What do you write about? I write, uh, I write again, spooky. We'll go back to spooky. <laughs> I write spooky stories. I, uh, we don't know what the range is for that. Yeah. We don't. We don't. It's a good kind of spooky. Right. I, I need that. <laughs> I like, I like to call what I write fun horror because I feel like oh. a lot of horror is very like grim. It's very focused on, on trauma and tragedy and despair and bleakness as a way of, of mining horror. And I'm, I do mine some of that stuff, but I try and like, I'm very interested in the tropes of horror and like the, the fun stuff, the stuff that got me into it in the first place. So like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not as likely to be the witch as I am to be like house on haunted hill mm-hmm. or something like, and that's not haunting of hill house and God, I need to make like an infographic because people keep <laughs> mixing up all of the various Houses and hauntings and hills that exist One out there. One has James Marsters for a cameo. <laughs> I just watched it the other night while I was working again because I missed it so much. Uh, because, it, oh, it is the first time in, in movies because I saw it before I saw uh, Jacob's Ladder that I saw that Silent Hill. The, the vibrating head thing, vibrating too. Vibrating thing, yeah. yeah. And it's always stuck in my head. Like, it's still so goddamn scary to it's me. It's very creepy, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and you know just and, and and old stuff like I love um, I love like old Vincent Price movies. I love the old Universal movies from the '30s. I love like the Hammer movies of the '50s and '60s. And all this, all this stuff, and and it's kind of creaky and it's kind of old fashioned. And I draw from a lot of that. And so what I turn out then is kind of creakier and more old fashioned. But I you know, ostensibly at least I, I bring a modern sensibility to it. I don't know whether I do or not, but you know that's that's the idea. Well, acknowledging tropes in itself is i mean it's not like it's a completely modern idea but it is something that like modern audiences really like so that in itself is sort of a modern twist on horror i don't know anybody else that would define themselves as like a writer in the vein of castle films like that's (laughs) that's so interesting to me i uh, i remember like i mean i love william castle films but i uh i i was in an interview or something at one point and and someone was asking me like about what I wanted to accomplish or, or why, you know, why I wrote what I wrote or something. And I, I said something like, you know, uh, some of us get to be Alfred Hitchcock and some of us get to be William Castle. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm fine being William Castle. Like, I, I'm fine just being a showman. And if I write, if I make something good, great. But I'm, I'd rather make something you enjoy. And if it turns out to also be good, then that's a bonus. <laughs> I, lo- I love this perspective. I do not know anyone <laughs> else that starts from this place. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I mean, you know, I, I hope that the stuff I write is also good when I'm done, and I hope sometimes it's scary. And but ultimately, I want I want people to watch, read it, and and like it. That's that's the first thing. Like I want people to enjoy it and have fun. And and if I make something that sticks with them, fantastic. Do you start from a perspective of like I'm shooting for like 
the B horror range on this. I don't even, I honestly don't even really think too much about it. Like I, I just pull inspirations from wherever I pulled them from, which a lot of times is B horror and that kind of stuff. And then I just write whatever I can write from that. And, um, but I, I also do sort of run under the assumption that like, I'm not, I, I, I assume I'm not going to win awards. I assume I'm not going to get into year's best anthologies, except that I have twice now. So, you know, who knows how those assumptions go. Right. Yeah. Snuck that one in there. Yeah. Right. But no, I mean, but I do Like I, I always assumed that I wouldn't until I did. And then I was like, Oh, okay, well I guess I can get away with doing this stuff. <laughs> you have a book with you. I do. Uh, is that your latest this one? This is my newest one. Yeah. The green, I never know how it's pronounced. Guignol? Guignol. Guignol. I think. Yeah. As in grand. As in grand. Just regular. Yes. The, uh, so tell us what this. The, before we get into it, uh, it, it Grand Guggenau, it is Guignol. Guignol. Uh, when I was pulling up tonight, and you were in front of our place, you described your car to me with a make, model, and color. Your license plate is Guignol, uh, and I was just like, you could have just started by saying that. I know which car is yours, but I I didn't know which way you'd be coming from, so I didn't know if you'd see the license plate. But yeah, um, yeah, my license plate is Guignol also, awesome. because I realized it was seven letters long, um, and like all the, you know, other seven letter long things I could think of were taken, but that one's not. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, also not amazing, like not surprising that no one else has thought, no if, one else in if Kansas we were in thought France, to. it would probably be gone. Yeah. But yeah. So uh, what, can, what is this one? I mean... I, I want to ask what it's about, but it's it's it's, it's short stories of right. um, fun so, horror, right? Yeah. What so can you tell us about it? My so it it differs from my other two. So my, I'll I'll kind of talk a little bit about the other two to to kind of set the stage yeah. for this one. My first collection, uh, which came out originally in 2012, and there's now a, a hardcover edition of it out because it went out of print and some things happened. Um, the the publisher went bankrupt and they got a different publisher and stuff. Anyway. Uh, it it was more. But this is such a thriving industry, right? Uh, that was a the first publisher was weird. It was a very strange. I don't even know. I think it might have been a tax shelter. Anyway, um, but uh, uh, the um, the first collection was was just kind of everything I had that was worth collecting at that time because um, it was fairly early in my my career. Um, you don't have to put that in quotes. You can say you have a career. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I didn't really then. <laughs> yeah. I did not really then. I wouldn't inter- have called you out for doing air quotes, in, in, but I think it was audible too. <laughs> in, in in 2012, in 2012, I don't, I didn't, I did not have a career in 2012. <laughs> but um, it it was again, it, it was more old fashioned ghost stories and things. I really hadn't like figured out what I was going to be able to get away with uh, in the in the field yet. Um, my second collection, which is from the same publisher as this one, Word Horde. Uh, was called Painted Monsters and Other Strange Beasts, and it is all the stories in it are uh, inspired by film in some way, and they're ordered so that um, as you go through the book, they go in order chronologically. So like the first stories are inspired by silent films, up to like the last stories are like found footage stuff, oh cool, and that kind of thing, um, and. So that that one has like an actual theme, which huh. is kind of cool. This one doesn't as much, but there like there are definitely still it's some got film. A cool ass cover, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, same same artist as well on both both books. That's Nick Gucker, and he's amazing. I swear he sold more copies of my books than I have because of those <laughs> gorgeous covers. Um, but yeah, this one is um, it's a, it is for all that I just said it was fun horror, and I think it is still. It is a little bleaker than some of my others because um, 
when I was writing the stories in it, I was, I wrote them in the last five years or so. And I, my dad had died not too long ago and my dad and I didn't have a very good relationship and I was working through some trauma and stuff from when I was a kid and I was in therapy a lot. And so these stories, I mean, I'm, I'm not one of these people who like consciously channels any of that stuff into my writing, but it made its way in there anyway. And so, yeah, the stories in there are, are a little grimmer than wow. I am used to turning out. <laughs> but um, there is, I, I'm, I've been working with this idea for a while lately, the, the concept of a positive haunting. Uh, just sort of like the remnants of a thing and how they bleed into what you're doing. And uh, sometimes the the thin line between those worlds, it's been a lot of that stuff lately with me and knowing my grandfather's birthday is coming up and stuff and some of my inability to sleep. And I'm like, it feels like something's here. And I don't know where my beliefs go on that, but like it's a presence, but it doesn't feel like it's doing something negative to me. And I'm like, you know what? Sometimes that presence is is important and interesting. Yeah. Well, that's all we've got for today. (laughs) (laughs) So who do you read? What do you like? What are your modern writers? Like, I'm sure that your older references are whatever one's older references are. Um, So like modern, uh, modern writers that I read, I'm going to, I'm going to leave out just tons of people when I do this, but. (laughs) Well, they'll be really mad. They will. They're going to be really pissed. Um, I'm really blown away by Matthew Bartlett, um, who does like. I've never read anyone else doing quite what he does. I don't even know what to compare it to. It's this bizarre, just like borderline bizarre. If you're familiar with bizarro fiction at all, it is like right on the edge of that. Hmm. Um, just really strange stuff. And uh, his his work is, is always just completely amazing to me. But it's like this fever dream of a thing. It's barely a story. Like, <laughs> And I, I mean that in the best way. Like this, in the same way that Suspiria is barely a story. Or, oh, no spoilers. No, the, the old one. The <laughs> yeah. old one. The 77 one. I haven't seen the new one yet either. Um, We're going to see it with the Goblin performing the score live. Oh, my God. Yeah. I am not I've going to that. I've never seen the original. Oh, you never have? No, oh not Oh, my yet. God. It's so good. Um, me, I'm not, I'm not me going to either. the... Really? Yeah. Yeah, Holy we're shit. bad. So wait, wait. You're so you're both going to see it like cold yeah. with Goblin performing the score yeah. live. That's going to be insane. When is that Thursday? Oh, in like two weeks. Oh, okay. So we'll have seen we'll have out. seen the yeah. new one yeah. first. Oh then. wow. Okay. That's going to. Uh, we're, that, we're doing it wrong, and we know that will also yeah. be weird. I know someone else who's doing that too. Actually, who's who's seeing the new one first? Yeah. He's 13 though, so I well, think he has a better excuse company. than you. <laughs> um, or 14 it, or something. Is it our little? Yeah. <laughs> Are you hanging out with Alex? I don't, yeah. I don't think so. No. Um, I, I've tried to start the original so many times, and it's just always been on the wrong night. I'm like, no, nah, I don't have another two hours of this in me. Yeah, you you gotta be. And I I I it really like caught me at the right time too. It was one of those things where like I had seen another Argento film, and I just it left me completely cold. And I went back to that one later and liked it more. But I just saw Suspiria at like just the right moment, and it really like just caught me but it wasn't even that like i i was not a kid when i saw it either like yeah. i saw it like i don't know six or seven years ago i mean it was, i was i was growing up i owned a house and shit when i saw it so you know you're not you're I not owned too a bad house when i saw it is that's such a good key. measure that's the key to seeing an argento movie like be in a house that you own we we've been having some conversations about like uh horror director stuff because the other night uh we watched uh bubba hotep and i haven't seen it since it came out and i was trying to define like what phantasm means to other people, but I've never liked phantasm, but like some of the sequels I liked, but JJ Abrams just paid for this huge restoration in 4k of phantasm. And, but like, I love John dies at the end. And I was like, what is this director's whole like 
thing. And is it, it it's just sort of this sort of like dreamlike state stuff that yeah. like comes off as not even horror so much as like bizarre. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm starting to get it. And maybe I would like Phantasm now. <laughs> Yeah, I, I when when Don or yeah, when John dies at the end came out, I think I'd like I said at some point like that Don Coscarelli's like whole thing was to have the movie barely be on the rails the whole time. <laughs> like it was just that defines that film. It is just like one second away from going off the rails, always. All of his films are kind of like but that. But that like, movie is also like and the book that's based on is basically the Hitchhiker's Guide of Horror, <laughs> right. where it's just like, here's just a weird aside all of a sudden where you explain where what's some kind of demon, and then we're back to whatever we were doing. I was like, this is perfect for him. Yeah. Uh, it has uh, weirdly good philosophy in it, too. Uh, <laughs> as a person with a philosophy degree, it's it's pretty good. Oh, you poor boy. <laughs> yeah, right? Your origin story was just revealed, and I feel so bad now. Yeah. Was that was that from Baker? Yeah. Oh, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's. Uh, I, I also have. I had. I have a philosophy and English because you had to double major because there were not enough credit. Because you really wanted a lucrative future. Right, I did. You know, I really did. Um, but yeah, you know, you couldn't get enough credits in philosophy me. to major it's in it. It's mean yeah. because it's mean. Yeah, no, it's it's true. Emphasize the me in mean. Like, yeah. it's I can make true. these jokes. She's got a grads and a under in, oh, in theater really quick sorry to interrupt but uh i realized i have another milestone today also oh, what? um it uh, came up my facebook i'm sorry to interrupt you but it, it came care. up my facebook mentions uh or my facebook uh like memories um four years ago today i quit my uh day job at a yoga studio and started writing full-time and except for like one three-week stint writing for lyft when one website i was writing for shut down with no day's notice uh i've I've done nothing but write full time for four years. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yay. Yay, me. I don't want to clap yeah. up too close to the mic and be <laughs> like, kill everyone. Also, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's been, uh, I have not had, that means I have not had any money for four years, but I've also been really unhappy. So, you know, a great landmark. <laughs> This is perhaps a good tie-in to ask you. Uh, you're a modern horror writer. You live in Kansas City. How much of the Midwest do you draw into what you're doing that makes it separate from what another horror writer would do? And how much of modern bullshit sneaks into your work? Because you're not doing just like Lovecraftian 1930s no. private eye bullshit. Yeah. I mean, I, I have done some of that. But no, that's we not all, all I'm doing. We all have to. We all have to pay our dues right. to the, the racist master. We have to uh, do that. I'll pay our bills with Lovecraftian right. horror. <laughs> I, uh, uh, yeah, we know what no, the it's, public wants. It's true. It's what I did all weekend. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, at one point, I like tallied up how many of the anthologies I've been in had either Lovecraft or Cthulhu in the title. <laughs> It was a lot. It was more than half, I think. It's, yeah. When I was in Los Angeles, there was a year I spent working at an immigration law firm, uh, and no one fucking talked to each other there. It was like <laughs> 11 uh, clerks working in this place, doing just fucking uh, paperwork all day, every day. And one day, at the water cooler, I mentioned the word Lovecraft to somebody else. And, and like groundhogs, some heads popped up <laughs> above... Uh, the various dividers and pretty soon I found out every other man that worked in that office was the publisher or editor of some sort of Lovecraft based like literary review thing or like a, a Lovecraftian like publisher and, and I, like they'd been in that office for years together and hadn't known this and I was like 
Oh, I didn't know that. Like, if you just walk into a room, uh, a group of white men is called the Lovecraft. That's what it is. <laughs> I, I also I also feel like I can probably guess close to what year that was based on like the fact there were a bunch of Lovecraft literary reviews at the time. Like, yeah, I know around when twenty eleven. That... Yes. Oh, you know, I know. I know around when that was because it's not. As much that way anymore. A lot of those will fold it up. I'm the ed- editor of the West Coast Lovecraft Review. <laughs> well, I'm editor of the West Coast Lovecraft Like, it's just like, okay, well, that's a... Some of you don't even know that the other one exists, which should tell you how many uh, copies of what you're doing you're selling. Yeah, how many so. readers you actually have. Yes, exactly. Uh, I, spent, I spent the weekend reviewing the new Call of Cthulhu uh, video game. Oh, there's one of those? There is. Uh, <laughs> they, they adapted the 1981 board game. Uh, into a game and it's so fucking good uh, for doing that and my review uh, that it uh, publishes tomorrow basically starts with a treatise on like how do you adapt Lovecraft a known racist without bringing like his (laughs) philosophies forward and do it in 2018 and it's like and they did it and so for that alone they get a gold star Uh, (laughs) because like that idea like belongs to everybody at this point like he created this mythos and you're like but all this is based on the idea that the other is black people or <laughs> Jews. Uh, and it's like, okay. Have you heard about his cat's name? Yeah. Yeah. What? Oh, Google it later. <laughs> Wait, you haven't heard about Google, his cat's let's name? Let's move on. No, no, no. No, no. Move on. We can't Google say it online it later, or on the air. Yeah. But no, yeah. You, you Google it uh, later. Everyone I Google I in a room where everyone knows this No, let's for me. actually move on and just Google okay. it later. Everyone, everyone <laughs> yeah. Google Lovecraft's cat's name later yeah. if you don't know it already somehow like Brock. Um. What, 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 what makes Alexis the game interesting? Yeah. <laughs> what makes the game interesting is that you're a detective trying to solve this thing, but uh, you need to get just the right amount. Uh, it, it's like L.A. Noir. You need X amount of things to sort of solve the mystery of what's happening. But if you get much more than that, you'll go fucking insane. So it's sort of like you you have options like, do you want to read this book? And you're like, yeah. And it's like, oh, you shouldn't have fucking done that. It's like, oh no, I should have read less books in this game. They weaponize knowledge. Yes, yeah. knowledge wow. has to sort of hit a spot, and like, wow. and the amount of trauma that you undergo also affects what you're doing. So like, you have to try and like, if based on the the playthrough I've done, if I did a second one, there's whole like sections of things that I'd be like, I've got to avoid it because I know I'm going to wind up in a pit full of bodies and it will haunt my <laughs> dreams. So I need to like not go to that place or, or it's like examine an, that thing. It's like an actually good version of the Thing video game they tried to make and mostly failed at making what? years ago. <laughs> this uh, was, this was, this was, oh my God, this was early 2000s. This was PlayStation. Was Xbox One. Yeah. I, wrote, I wrote it up on Unwinnable. It is... It is a game where you have like dudes that you keep meeting and you try to like gain everybody's uh, confidence. And that means being like, here, have my gun, have my ammo, and you convince people to be on your side. And then you have the option to like blood test people to see if they're the thing. The problem with the game was it came out just a little too early in the technology cycle. So every time you played the game, the same people turned out to be the thing and they always <laughs> turned out to be the thing at the same time. Oh. Like if it was random or something, it would yeah. be fucking flawless. And like they were supposed to do a sequel and it got it was, canceled. It was such a good idea. And it, yeah, the, yeah, the execution, to, like you, you watching your friends like panic and being like, I've got to calm that guy down. And here's how you do it. Uh, like was so interesting, but had no like practical outcome that was worth playing. That again. is one <laughs> thing that I, that I wish were included in the thing board game, which we're big fans of in this house is like when you find out someone, is the thing but you don't find out someone is the thing really till the end like that 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 idea of like calming someone down that's the only thing that i wish oh interesting yeah 
anyway, we're big fans of the thing board game. I, it is, I, it, I that board game is, it, oh, so. come over, bring yeah. your wife. It is the most screaming we have ever done around a game. It is fun always screaming, fun. Good yeah. screaming. <laughs> it, it, it always fun ends screaming. in that place. It is always like a very fun screaming. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I wish I could make something that made people feel this way. It's so good. Yeah. Sorry, we were in the middle of the question about like, how do you pull in like, you're a Midwest oh, writer. Right. Obviously, you do something with this. Yeah, sorry, yeah, I'd forgotten what the question was because we got <laughs> off on like talking about video games. Um, so yeah, so I mean, a lot of like stuff about the setting comes in because I write about places I've been, which uh-huh. sometimes is you know is usually around here, but sometimes it's places I've traveled to. Um, and yeah, I've I've written several stories set in Kansas City, sometimes explicitly, sometimes. I didn't name drop anything so you wouldn't know unless you're me. Um, but like, so like one, one of the stories in this book is actually set in Kansas city in the 1920s. Um, and so I had to do a ton of research about what Kansas city was like in the 1920s, which was a lot different from now. Um, and, uh, so, you know, the story, so like the stories that use the setting use just stuff that I've been around mostly like, and, I don't extrapolate a ton from that. I just kind of use what I grew up around or what I'm around a lot. Um, and as far as the real, the real world and all of its various horrors, I don't know. I, I'm sure they, they creep in in ways that I don't even realize, but I, I kind of honestly try to avoid them. <laughs> I can when I'm writing. Uh, I mean, I, Some escapism can yeah. just be nice. <laughs> I, mean, I like that you'd rather be in a world of actual monsters that you can identify as monsters yeah. than in a place where it's like, well, monsters have both sides. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, well, so one of, the, one of the things that really fascinates me about writing, because almost all of my stuff is supernatural. I almost never write, you know, just like, here's a serial killer or something. Right. Um, and one of the things that, that fascinates me about supernatural horror is um, something that... Um, do you guys know who Joey Como is? He used to write A Softer World. It's a webcomic. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, he's now he's now transitioned to writing novels and stuff. But um, he used to write movie reviews, too. Um, he had a blog where he reviewed horror movies. And he reviewed uh, The Innkeepers, which is a movie I really liked from, like, 2000. Ty West? Yeah, the Ty West Innkeepers. Yeah. Um, and in his review, he, he sums up something that is one of the things that like keely fascinates me about the supernatural which is essentially that being killed by it's worth it mm-hmm. um he's he's talking about he uses the example of uh, you know the bloody mary urban legend like why would you go to the mirror and say it why, why would you do that why would you put yourself in that danger if you had any thought that it might be real and his explanation for why you would do that is because in that moment when the bloody hands came out of the mirror and strangled you it would be worth it to know that there was magic oh interesting oh okay like it, it would be it would be worth it for there to be something more to life than what we see, for that one moment. But if you know in your death that the afterlife is real, sure. <laughs> yeah, and and there, but there's there's a there's a there's a I don't know a transcendent quality. I mean, it's it's there in a lot of Clive Barker's work too. Um, Clive Barker's a guy who who was one of the first horror writers I really read actually. Mm-hmm. And it's a big influence on me, but no one notices it because Clive Burker's known for gore and sex, and there's almost none of either of those things in my stories. But that... I had to a few years ago at an office job uh, unfollow him on Facebook because uh, it reached the point where he was doing a lot of photography shoots where it was uh, very fast camera shot stuff of various 
gay porn stars jerking off and their semen flying through the air. And like, I was like, it just came up on my timeline yeah. at some point as a boss was walking by and I was like, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I like him for his writing. And that is what <laughs> I'm um, Follow question. Why do you hate art? I'm kidding. Oh, I'm kidding. But you're going to keep thinking about it. That's you're going to keep thinking about it now. Man, this episode has just been full of collective sighs <laughs> long, and wistful looks. Long, long pauses where, where Brock looks disturbed <laughs> yeah. by the by the knowledge that has been gifted upon him. We're very Lovecraftian episode over title, here. Episode title, Brock looks disturbed wistfully <laughs> into the distance. <laughs> I, I can't think of anything that's more exciting to me right now than the fact that Jordan Peele is either producing or writing the Candyman reboot. That would be oh, so Oh, I thought good. you were going to say Twilight Zone because that's the only thing that I can think of that's more exciting. <laughs> uh, I can't think of anything more exciting than the various projects Jordan Peele is involved in right now. You know what? That's his podcast. Yeah. That's what we do now. Because <laughs> Candyman, if you haven't watched it uh, recently, is about a white woman going to the projects of Chicago to be like black people and all their like weird inside like stories i'm gonna write my thesis paper on how like it's so crazy and, and also then... demanding do you live here yes <laughs> yes uh and and she is assaulted by gang members and then she's like i'm gonna keep going back to plunder the culture here yeah, and then the culture like comes for her and to... it comes back with her to the suburbs and it's like yes Jordan Peele gets to write that. Yeah. Let Jordan Peele do the new version yeah. of that thing. Let him well, tell us what we always should have thought all along since the 80s? When was the original? Uh, 90. 90. 90. Okay. Yeah, it was 90. But also, Barker oh. wrote that with that very much in mind. He was doing that then. And like to revisit that, I was like, this isn't to say that like it was a missed right. opportunity. He knew what he was writing about. Well, the, the really fascinating thing, so the, the reason I love the movie Candyman, actually, and I think it's the best Barker movie, is that in the story, it's not that. Like the story, it's 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 still a class, a story about class mm-hmm. struggle, but the the racial element is missing from it because it's set in London, and the the racial makeup is very different in the place where it's set, the part of London where the story was originally set, and but moving in both it. Versions like the Candyman's dad is like a slave that's killed, right? Nope. Not, not in the original. Nope. That's not in the original. Not in the story. Oh. Yeah, um, that's all added for the movie when they brought it to. Uh, Chicago or wherever, yeah. and Cabrini and Green. Green, right? Um, when they brought it to that, they added all that stuff in, mm. and it it adds a huge element to the original story. Which I mean, it's it's a good story, but it's short. I mean, it's like, it's not that long of a story, oh, so it's I not a ton in it. I've never read it's called it. The Forbidden. Okay. Um, I, I love how none of his like short stories align to right, like, like the movies. None, not one, yeah. not one, except for the Midnight Meat Train. <laughs> right. No. Oh, sorry. Not one of the good ones. Sorry. Right. <laughs> let me let me backtrack. Not one of the good ones. No, Razor's the Telltale Heart. The Hellbound Heart. Hellbound yeah. Heart. Yep. Um, and then Nightbreed is Cabal. Um, and those are kind of the early ones, really. Right. <laughs> uh, Rawhead Rex. Sorry, Rawhead Rex was called Rawhead Rex, but no one doesn't remembers count that. because we no one remembers it, behind. and it also wasn't good. Um, it's a thing though, man, is it ever a thing? <laughs> Which of your stories should be made into a movie first? Pitch this to Hollywood, to all our Hollywood listeners. All your Hollywood listeners? They're listening. Are they? Oh, good. Um, man, so like, actually should be, or I want to be? <laughs> actually should be. Let's make you some money tonight. <laughs> actually should be. Oh, man. Um, the first one that jumps to mind is actually, uh, this uh, a story um, that's actually in the previous book, not this one, that's called uh, Night's Foul Bird, which is, um, it'd be really easy to make on the cheap. Like, you could make it like Black Coat's Daughter or something, like this uh, kind of small contained movie. 
Um, and it's about a, uh, it's set in the twenties again. And it's about a girl who, uh, goes to the movies a lot. She goes to watch the silent, like German expressionist horror films that were out in the twenties. Um, and she lives in this, uh, apartment complex, but you know, the 1920s version of that. Um, and this guy moves in, into her house who may be a serial killer or maybe a vampire or maybe nothing. Um, and she becomes kind of obsessed with him and uses imagery from the silent vampire movies and horror films to, to kind of describe this, Mm. this relationship she develops with this guy who's probably some kind of monster because it's me. So he's probably not just a serial killer (laughs) because that'd be boring. Um, and like, as, as this is happening, the, the building is gradually getting snowed in. It's a, there's a big, terrible snowstorm. And so bit by bit, the building gets snowed and everybody's trapped inside the building. Um, so it'd be really easy to do. You'd have a small cast. You'd have one location. It'd be cheap to film. It's period set, but period set is in right now. So, so yeah, Hollywood, give me a call. <laughs> uh, we're getting near the end here. One of the things we wanted to talk about today is... Well, I have a question. Yeah. Um, are you planning to vote? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. <laughs> well, you did your part. I realized I, I should have been asking I, that of literally every guest we've had ever, <laughs> or at least over the last six months. We uh, we had a little like pumpkin carving party um, on Sunday because it's my birthday today. Oh, incidentally, I'm sorry. Hey. What? Happy birthday! <laughs> Just like my dead grandfather. Yes. Uh, that's happy not birthday. weird at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's my birthday today. Um, so we had we had a, a weird but happy birthday. We had a we had a small party on Sunday, and uh, in addition to carving pumpkins, we filled out um, letters to encourage people to vote. Oh, that's awesome! So we had a little letter writing slash pumpkin carving. Awesome. Party. And I also carved those fake pumpkins, like the foam ones that you can get at the store uh-huh. instead of a real one. Everyone else carved real ones, and I carved those fake ones. Those things are awesome. <laughs> but, like, get some rocks or something to put in them because they weigh, like, nothing. Oh, I bet. we. So we, <laughs> we had our little brother over last weekend to carve pumpkins. And uh, both Two of weekends both, ago. Yeah, bo- both of theirs have well, – so a week and a half ago now uh, – Sorry, I'm just trying to think of how quickly pumpkins go bad. It was only like nine days ago. Uh, and I, I noticed the one on the porch didn't yeah, look that great. Their pumpkins <laughs> uh, are already dead, had to be thrown away. Um, and I, I did that thing where I kept, like, I don't know. I'm with my husband and like a 13 year old boy, and I don't want to be the fucking mom of the group. So I was like, hey guys, it like really helps if you really scrape out the inside. Um, <laughs> like it'll keep animals from eating it and all this stuff. And they were like, oh, okay, fine, sure, whatever, mom. Um, and I was like, at some point, I was like, you know what? You can learn from your own mistakes. So uh, guess whose pumpkin is the only one left standing? <laughs> it's mine. And it's still not looking good, but it's not in the trash yet. Uh, our, our little brother Alex did a like heart eyes emoji into his <laughs> pumpkin that he took a picture of and sent to his new girlfriend. Sorry, Alex, if you've discovered our podcast and are listening. And Brock did a kitty face, and I did a porg because I am always on brand. <laughs> well, also, mine and his pumpkins got eaten by squirrels, and they yeah, and the why? Scary because porg. they still had their insides in them. <laughs> You also live in a neighborhood where there are any squirrels. Like, well, yeah. mine mine no. will be fine. No, I'm just saying that mine wasn't eaten by squirrels. No, it Because was not. I tried to tell you. <laughs> no one listened to me. I'm, I'm trying to help you out here. But... <laughs> Welcome to the part of the show where we say Viv was right. Say it with me. Viv, Viv was, was right. right. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> 
It's my favorite segment. When we're sitting around, I'm not going to be anyone's fucking mom. You can learn from your own mistakes and put your pumpkins in the trash. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? Um, do I need to talk about the upsetting yeah, yeah. thing? Uh, okay. So uh, we're, we're still talking about the sort of local politics stuff. So we are on the verge of the election here. Uh, Claire McCaskill is up against Josh Hawley in the state of Missouri for governor. Uh, Senate. Senate, sorry. Uh, Claire McCaskill has... uh, What? We know what's happening. We know what's happening. Uh, She comes off as a centrist at all times. And when we moved out here, people were very angry with her. Doesn't come off as centrist. She is a centrist. Uh, And we were like, oh, why is it that people have such anger about her? You know what? You take Yeah, can I? Thank you. I keep wanting to interrupt you. (laughs) Um, Because I've, I've asked friends. Like, we moved out here. We're only a year in. I admit, I don't know everything about our local politicians. Uh, And so I have heard from a lot of my friends out here that they don't like Claire McCaskill. And I've I've asked them why. And I haven't really gotten a clear answer other than like, well, she's a centrist. And that's said in that voice. But it's true. Um, But what I know about her is that she gets a really great rating from Planned Parenthood. Because she talks like a centrist, but she votes... She votes along party line and she votes along Planned Parenthood's line. And so she, uh, there was an, uh, an episode, yeah, there's an episode of the daily, a two part episode, the daily a few weeks ago called like the battle for Missouri. Anyone that's interested, it's a really great two part episode. It is hard to listen to, especially if you live out here. Um, just about like Missouri's relationship with, the pro-life and pro-choice movements or pro-choice and anti-choice movements um, because I hate even using that rhetoric uh, because no one is fucking anti-life, but whatever. (laughs) Um, And that, like, something... I felt like I learned more about Claire McCaskill in that... in one of those 20-minute episodes than I had from a lot of people that I talked to around here because they really painted a, a clear picture of Claire McCaskill being what looks to be in like as an individual a a pro-life individual but a pro-choice politician in a pro-life state and so when she is asked questions about abortion she reframes the the conversation in the way that I think every anti-choice Republican should like if you are against abortion you talk about birth control. You talk about sex education. And that's what Claire McCaskill does that, like, very few Republicans do. So, like, even, like, she votes for women's reproductive rights. Um, but she frames conversations around what we can do to prevent abortions. One of the Fine best extrapolations of, <laughs> of this is that, like, which I think sums her up so clearly, is that she voted against Kavanaugh. But... Uh, the reason she gave publicly for voting against Kavanaugh wasn't any of this other stuff. It was about, like, she doesn't like his stances on, like, contributions, uh, like, financial stuff. Like, it was That's this not other... entirely true, but... It, it's close. It was, it was some sort of... That's part of it. Yeah, it yeah. was like, it's an answer that's a distant sort of, like, pro-Republican stance to have, but she still voted the way that and she And that's fine, but, but then this week, um, she... What all of my friends that don't like her but couldn't explain why they don't like her, um, she has told me in her own words this week. Um, and I... God damn it. Uh, like, this is why I've been kicking myself and why I was, like, giving Brock weird looks when he was talking about how much work I've been doing because, like, I signed up to do text banking for her and then the text bankers 
never sent me like the info that I was supposed to get. And they finally, they told me like, oh, we're focusing on phone banking because we haven't met our goals. And I was like, well, I, you know, <laughs> fucking anxiety triggers. Like, I don't want to do that. And we were supposed to go canvassing and I canceled. And that kind of, that's, that's the kind of thing that I beat myself up for. And then today, I'm reading all of these interviews with her, and I'm like, how, over the next, we have, we have a week. As of today, when we're recording this, we have, I mean, basically seven days, because it's, it's nighttime. We have basically seven days to, uh, you know, put out, put out all the effort we can to, to make sure people go out and vote and vote for her. And I am having a lot of trouble, uh, summoning my uh enthusiasm for doing that uh because i would love a candidate that i don't i would love a candidate that i want to vote for mm. and not just uh feel motivated to vote against a lot of things like the monster that is josh Hawley and uh you know a red a, a red senate like right. i i would love to have a beto or a cortez in the house like i would love I would love these people, and we don't. We have Claire McCaskill to vote for. And uh, the thing that she did to really push me so far away, I will still there, vote. I, I, yeah, can I? Yeah, 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 go ahead. I will still vote for her, but I know a lot of people won't. And I am trying to summon the enthusiasm to try to convince them they still should vote for her. Because this week, she did an interview with Fox. Fox. Yes, I know. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> she didn't. She did an interview with Fox um, in which she said that uh, she is, oh, well, okay, to start, she had a radio ad saying she's not one of those crazy Democrats. And then when asked by Fox in a Fox interview, and I get that she wants to uh, appeal to the Republican voters, I still wish she didn't have to do Fox ads, but I get that she's in Missouri and has to appeal to the Fox voters and has to go on Fox. But she told them, like, she stands by that ad. That's not an ad paid by, paid for by another party. That is her ad saying she's not one of those crazy Democrats. And who are the crazy Democrats? They are... In, the first thing she went to was not a fellow uh, senator, but she said the crazy Democrats are the people... Uh, yelling in Republicans' faces in restaurants, meaning constituents, meaning everyday people that are tired of how Republicans are treating them and how they're voting and, uh, you know, will approach them any place necessary in restaurants, in elevators, whatever. And Claire McCaskill immediately dubbed them crazy Democrats. And then she also called out uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. And one of those people... I am not a huge fan of, but I still don't think need to be called out by a centrist Democrat senator who is also pledging her support for Donald Trump, trying to meet the what he's dubbed like the demonic caravan at the Mexico border. She, in the same breath, like uh, supported what he's doing there. And the fact that, I mean, her trying to distance herself from fellow Senate Democrats is bad enough, um, but her throwing her constituents under the bus and any American person that, you know, wants to express their situation to a Republican that they meet out in the wild is just so disheartening. Uh, and I don't know. I just... 
I'm so angry and so disappointed. And I still believe that, like, she will vote the party line. So while I would love to have a candidate that I am excited for, I don't. But I will still vote for the opportunity to flip the Senate blue so that we can counter some of the evil uh, things that Trump is trying to enact. It's just, it's so disheartening. And, like, me voting is one thing, but me trying to go out there and spend three hours canvassing in our neighborhood and express this to other people one-on-one is just, it's, she's made that really hard. (laughs) when this happened this morning, I was at a diner, Viv was at home, and it's one of these moments that like something happens politically that isn't just Donald Trump. It is this thing that actually hit both of us, and we were both doing a thing that was like, I'm just so fucking, I can't even fucking wow. Uh, <laughs> and, and if we were in the same space, we would have just been yelling and marching around there. We were yeah. both like, we'll save it for tonight. Uh, there is something about Claire McCaskill that is so fucking weird and please do listen to those daily episodes because yeah. i think it paints the situation of how a democratic senator manages to retain this position in a place like missouri where democrats cannot win but she manages to keep doing this because of this very centrist thing and like when we moved here one of the first things i ever saw was that claire mccaskill on oscar night uh dressed up as the police chief from three billboards outside billings missouri and my first thought was that wasn't even filmed in Missouri. That was filmed in Canada. Fuck you. Uh, and then the well, other. It was, <laughs> it was filmed like way far south of here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then the other part of it was like, hey, do you not know that that cop's like racism mm-hmm. as a person? Like, what are you doing? You don't get this. Uh, so this is a thing that I come back to a lot. And it's the thing that caused me to very early in like 2015 be like, Donald Trump is going to win. Uh, is that uh, Republicans are willing to look aside fucking anything to get their person in office and democrats are full of people that are like my conscience won't allow me to vote for hillary clinton because once she had somebody murdered in a drone attack when she was doing this thing or like there's something that i don't agree with here and so this is the first time that that part of uh my ideology is being tested in this way that's like fucking don't do this a week out from the election uh which is to be like i'm gonna throw all democrats under the bus because i went on fox news and it feels I, I finally did watch the video and I didn't tell this yet, but I, I did watch it and she'd watched it earlier in the day. And it did feel like somebody when you go on like a, a bigger celebrities radio show and you just want to agree with everything that they're saying, even though it sells you out because you want their fans to think you're cool. And that's what this entire interview feels like. She's like, you guys, I'm just one of the cool guys. I, I just don't uh, I'm not going to like yell at you in a restaurant. Oh, my God, whatever you're doing is probably OK. And And the part where she gets to be like. I just want Trump to use every tool at his disposal to protect this country. You're like, what is uh, happening? So, I mean, so we've been we've been arguing about this because we are on the same side of a two side argument. But we have different (laughs) views of what that side is, because Brock, Brock has been bringing this up a lot lately that and tell me if I'm getting like your stance wrong, but the 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 Republicans are winning because they are a unilateral force that doesn't give a shit about anything except party and ours and the Democrats. Uh, I mean, where the Republicans used to be torn between Republican and tea party, they've all just gone as fucking far right as possible. And we now are torn between not even like, like sent, I don't know, 
what would have been considered the Democratic Party. Like, I feel like in 2016, we were torn between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider Hillary Clinton, like, a super centrist, but I know a lot of people would. But, like, Claire McCaskill is a super centrist. But, like, the, the tear between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders has led to, say, the tear between someone like Claire McCaskill, who is basically a Republican, except, like, she talks like a Republican, but she will vote the Democratic Party line in a pinch. And people like Beto O'Rourke and, uh, like, Ocasio-Cortez, like, people that are, basically, we're, we're torn between established, super centrist Democrats and really exciting people that are reinvigorate, not even re, like invigorating a populace that has felt disenfranchised from the voting process forever. And so Brock has talked about how that is a strength for the Republican Party. And I think he's right that like they will vote along party line no matter what. Like people like, I don't know, Midwestern parents, everyone, like they will vote Republican in, no, I was going to say, unless they have a reason really strongly not to vote Republican, but Donald Trump has proven that like they will still vote Republican. When on, on the left, we are criticized a lot for having identity politics, as if mm. voting for someone like Trump is not identity politics, but that is another conversation. Um, and someone like Claire McCaskill disenfranchises voters like she does she she has to i guess what i'm getting at is that like she had to choose between pandering to republicans that might give her her vote and young progressive democrats in her state and she did not trust that there were enough young people or people of color or queer people or anyone else that has felt disenfranchised by the democrat party she did not feel that she could get them so she's gone to the other side to try and get those Republicans on the fence. And that pisses me the fuck off because I don't want to vote for that person. I would love to have a Beto O'Rourke. I would love to have someone that was encouraging disenfranchised voters because we have a really low voter turnout in our right. state yeah. and across the country. And so rather than trying to appeal to those people, like people like Beto and Ocasio-Cortez have done, she has tried to get what she sees as the easier vote, which I don't think will ever work for her. If Claire McCaskill is voted out of office in two weeks, a week, a week, it, I think that it will be because she did not think it was worth it to reach out to people who didn't know why they should be voting and instead tried to get the people that didn't really like Trump and so didn't know who to vote for and it's just fucking lazy and honestly I don't think she deserves to be in office but I want a blue Senate and so I wish that Democrats were strategic enough the way you, that you say Republicans are strategic and you're right I wish Democrats were strategic enough to vote Claire McCaskill back into office now and the next time she's up for re-election vote her out in the primaries because the primaries are our time to vote optimistic, and the right. general election is when we have to vote practical. We have and to I vote for harm reduction. Yeah. <laughs> Credit trim. Uh. And I am I am so mad and disappointed and let down by her, 
I heard quotes uh, this week, this weekend, about how she is one of those civil Democrats, how she is all about manners, because it is a false fucking narrative put out by the other side that the problem is Democrats, you know, yelling at Republicans in restaurants, in elevators, that we are the problem, that we are the violent party because we yell at people we disagree with when there has been so much violence this past week. And yet somehow, like, Claire McCaskill is is conceding to the point that, oh, yes, those crazy Democrats are the problem. And I cannot think of anything that can make me matter than her giving in to that fake fucking narrative rather than standing up for her actual party. She only wants to get elected. I don't think she has any actual beliefs, and I didn't know that until this week, and I am so mad, and I am still voting for her, and anyone listening to this in Missouri, I encourage you to still vote for her, <laughs> because Josh Hawley, I, looking back at like 18-year-old Green Party me, I would have judged me now so hard, but it's yeah. the truth. The, the lesser of two evils is actually a whole lot lesser. It is actually an important distinction. And I do not like Claire McCaskill anymore at all, but Josh Hawley in office would be a fucking monster. Also, for anyone in Missouri listening to this, there are other things to get you to the polls, like legalized medical marijuana and an increased minimum wage. And so you should go to the polls for those things. And while you're there, just check the box for McCaskill because the if you're not checking the box for McCaskill, you are essentially checking the box for Holly. So there are things to get you to the polls, even if the Democratic nominee is so much less than encouraging. That's all. Don't I have cross to say my wife. Or and I'm going to toss to you here in a second to have your thoughts. But this is uh, my tag on that. Uh, yeah, you have to vote for McCaskill because otherwise, uh, abortion is illegal. It's just how this yeah. this goes. And uh, and as we saw in 2016, like a, a vote for Jill Stein was a vote for Donald Trump. Like sure. if you don't want to vote for McCaskill and you think that not voting or voting third party is, I don't know, a political statement. It is. It's a political statement that will lead to Josh Hawley being in office. My only final thought on this is that uh, the reason that McCaskill can't be in office that much longer and we should do the primary thing that Viv just outlined is that this is a 15 year old dem uh, like politic move, which is like, I'm going to go be on the TV station or the radio station of the opposing party. But the thing that is different now is that the internet exists. So everyone else can see that thing. Like back mm -hmm. in the day, that just would have meant a bunch of farmers heard her. And oh, your like, dog whistles are said out loud now. Right. Right. Yeah. And other people can come evaluate said dog whistle. And it's like, Oh, you know what? That doesn't sound that great to the rest of us. It's not the political landscape I signed up for. Maybe I'll retire and let a new generation take over. <laughs> so when Viv runs uh, in four years, no. that'll be <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, my history would not allow that. But I will hopefully be making enough money to donate to some campaigns. Honey, <laughs> no one online thinks your name is real. Vivian Kane is not That's a real true. man. That's true. People, anytime anyone comes to criticize me for my fucking feminist leanies they're like i don't even believe that's a real person vivian kane vivian kane if thanks, that is your real name thanks mom and dad for giving me a name that no republican believes exists <laughs> Orin, how do you feel about all this oh my god um you've been here much longer than we have uh, you've seen mccaskill for a long time where do you sit i mean 
and I, I'm from over on the Kansas side, so I don't actually see it as much, but I, yeah, I, I joked about it earlier, but I mean, you, you basically have to vote for harm reduction at this point. Like, uh, and, and anybody who, who abstains from voting on, on the grounds of, of principle, you can't. You can't because Thank you're you. you're Thank not you. you're not. Their principles are bullshit. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you you are you are you are causing harm yeah. when you do that, because you know the Republicans, whether or not they're better at at anything else, they have an established base of a certain number of people who are always going to vote Republican. I don't know why. Um, I mean, I have some ideas demon, about why. They demonize Democrats right. to the I, point where they think anything is better. And to be fair, we've kind of done the same, but I think we're right. I, I think so. I think they did it. Honestly, I think I think they yeah. did it themselves, and we just saw it happen. But, yeah. um, but I mean, you know, for whatever reason, there's there's a there's a, a a set number of people who will always vote Republican, and so if you don't vote, they're the only ones voting. Yeah. And, um. Oh, sorry, who was it that someone tweeted today, like, there was an article, uh, like a New York Post John or, or New Yorker article about, like, uh, you know, 12 young people that aren't voting and why, and someone tweeted, John like, Skezzies. yeah, uh, you, oh, you know who isn't coming up with these answers uh, about why they're not voting? Fascists. Like, the Republicans. <laughs> they're, they're not doing it. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine on Facebook, uh, likened it to like he he is against prisons this this particular friend they sorry they are against prisons and um they believe prisons should be abolished but they would also vote for repealing the death penalty as a first step on that road whereas there are people who would see any kind of reform yeah. as supporting the prison system. People who won't vote there until right. abolishing prisons is, is, on, the is on the ballot and is a likely choice right. on the ballot. And, and that's just not... Yeah, you don't have that luxury. Work. You have yeah. to do harm reduction until you can get to what your ideological goal is. It's great. I love ideals. I love <laughs> having them. I'm in support of them. But I'm also in support of practicality because the other side probably doesn't think in ideals the same way you do and they're turning out in mass numbers to oppose you mm. and so if you are waiting until your until your specific beliefs are a likely option on the ballot just never never yeah. you're basically giving your vote to the other side yeah i mean if you have an ideology that's really important to you like you were saying you you go out you canvass in the primaries yeah. you push you yeah. push local candidates on local ballots that might actually get beyond that. You, you do that. That's where you do the ideological work. When it yeah. comes down to actually voting, you have to, it's, you have to do harm reduction. Yeah. You can't either. Honestly, no matter how, no matter what your ideology yeah. is, you pretty much have to vote harm reduction yeah. always because you are always going to be up with someone who's imperfect. You're never going to have a perfect candidate. You're going to, your candidate's going to disagree with you about some damn thing or another. So you're always going to have to go, okay, which one of these is going to do the least harm? Mm -hmm. Always. No matter how good they are. <laughs> Politics doesn't happen once every four years. And it's amazing that this year people are actually thinking about midterm elections in a way that they normally think about presidential elections because most people have thought about politics is happening once every four years. Now some people are thinking of politics as happen happening every two years, 
but it happens year round all the time every day all year and hopefully this is like, I don't want to be a fucking Susan Sarandon that says, like, well, the best, uh, I mean, at least now we're in a revolution. Like, that's bullshit. That's not happening. <laughs> there'll, um, there'll be some really good punk music, though. Yeah, oh, man. <laughs> God so damn I'm it. So, I so forgot glad, that one. <laughs> so glad Trump was elected for the music. No. Yeah. But maybe this is opening some people's eyes. It is opening people's eyes to midterm elections. Right. I would love for people's eyes to be opened to uh, what they can do. Literally every day to make sure that every two or four years they are represented rather than waiting for people to arise out of the ashes to represent them. They have agency every single day. Uh, and my my only hope is that people start to recognize that. So that's where we're going to call the podcast tonight. Uh, I'm Brock Wilbur. You can find me on Twitter at Brock Wilbur and other places. Viv, where can people find you? Um, you can find me being really sad, like <laughs> every day at themarysue.com and really sad, or at least like retweeting other people's really sad tweets on Twitter at Viv underscore Kane. We should set up a Ko-Fi for you so somebody can just send you a drink in the day. Okay. Yeah. Oren, where can people find you, and where can they find your book? Uh, so you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just orengray.com, at Oren Gray, all those places. It's Gray, the, the British spelling, so G-R-E-Y. Um, but I'm, I'm with a double R-I-N. Right. Yeah, I'm also the only Oren Gray can we put a there link is. Yeah, yeah, so, we'll put it in. Um, yeah. yeah. It won't be hard to find me. And uh, my books uh, are, you can get them from my website, or from the publisher, or from Amazon, or any place else you want to buy books. And the uh, new one has the title uh, Guignol and Other Sardonic Tales, and it actually just uh, showed up on like a Barnes and Noble like Halloween read list or something. So that's really cool. Oh, oh you made BNN, right? Yeah, yeah. God damn, I'm on son. their blog, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in the big times now. Um, so yeah, uh, and that's where I am, and I I mostly mostly just talk about like monsters and and movies and stuff. So. You can you can come there and, and he'll never be as political as what this was, yeah. and we're sorry to make <laughs> him do so. No, it's good. I'm good. It's fine. I should but probably... you are voting. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> totally. This has been Missouri Loves Company. Thank you guys for uh, subscribing. Please tell a friend about it. Please uh, leave us some feedback. What'd you say? Oh, are we not doing pop culture references or recommendations? Uh, yeah. We're done. You go just watch whatever you want to watch. <laughs> uh, read What's the Matter with Kansas. Go see Can You Forgive Me with Melissa McCarthy. Play Are You Play You Are Jeff Bezos. Watch the new Sabrina. <laughs> uh, my Riverdale book. is a great show. <laughs> that we finally caught up with. Buy my book. Buy this Buy book. All right. Thank you okay, guys so much bye. for listening. Bye. <laughs> That was a long episode.